In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hello, welcome to Craig's List. Uh, this is Craig, and uh, what? What is this? What, Carla? What is this? I know what this is. This thing that I'm holding in my hand that I'm talking. I mean, I know it's a microphone, but what? What is it? What is it? It looks like something. What does it remind you of? I know this. I know what this is. What is it? Who are you people? Who are you people? <laughs> what, Carla, what is this? What is it? What is it? What is it? What does it look like? Carla, God, God's sake. A microphone? <laughs> I know it's a microphone, but it looks like something. What is it? A, a penis? <laughs> Don't be gross, for God's sake. I, I don't is, know what you uh, want from me. It feels like I'm supposed to go to something that looks like this or... That looks like it? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, be- bear with me, Carla. This isn't uh, this isn't anything you'd leave me over, is it? My inability to, uh, to understand Never. Uh, what this thing is. Oh, I feel like somebody implanted something in me that I'm supposed to know where to go and what this is. Okay. Well, we're we'll... talking about a podcast. The podcast is where you're supposed to go <laughs> to tape the podcast. No, clearly we're doing that right okay, now. Okay. I don't know. Don't talk down to me. I've asked you to not include me in these opening <laughs> bits anymore. And yet time and time it's again. It's not a bit. It's not a bit, Carla. This is my life. I mean, if you're going to include me, it's fine. You just need to give me a heads up as to what you want me to do. Look, I think it has something to do with the other night when I got that late night call from my job and I went out driving around and... You're trying to tell me you're a stripper. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> male strip clubs, you're constantly on call. You know, maybe there's a bachelorette party in. Are you a, are you a secret doctor? And there are a couple strippers short. Calls? Yes, I'm a secret doctor who makes house calls. Because <laughs> we should have a lot more money if that's true. <laughs> Regardless, I saw a strange light in the sky. I looked out of the window. That's why I have this burn on half of my face. Oh. <sighs> I feel like I'm going crazy. What is going on? I thought you played basketball for too long in the sun. <laughs> that's right. And I'm, and I always tilt my head uh, one way when I'm playing basketball because I'm so bad at sports. Hi guys, it's Craigslist. It's episode number seventy-three. And oh we are... my god, that's so many! <laughs> and we've done more than that because I haven't. This is the the ones that cover the films on Craigslist. That's so many. When you throw in the Carla's list and the Christmas episodes and the best ofs, we're I, I think we're over eighty. Whoa! Did you ever think you'd do eighty episodes Never. of the podcast? I How thought many... it would last for five. <laughs> <laughs> you knew the premise of this podcast. 
I know. I just didn't think we'd finish it. <laughs> You've done everything in your power to sabotage it. <laughs> I even moved out of the state. But I've got you back. Mm-hmm. Here you are. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Craig. I have Carla here right in front of me. Mm-hmm. We're in Los Angeles in uh, the first day of July 2018. And we're here to talk about my number 28 movie. This is a 1977 film by a Mr. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yep. It's a science fiction movie of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know what a Close Encounter of the Third Kind is, Carla? It's an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's an experience with an alien. It's an experience with an alien. (laughs) What's the second kind? Um, human. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So like we're having a close encounter of the second kind right now Mm because we're just two humans talking. What's the first kind? God. God. (laughs) So it starts with God, then goes to humans, then aliens. So, okay. Great. Great. I mean, that's what I learned from this movie. (laughs) Did you learn that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but to help us do this, this is a movie directed by Steven Spielberg featuring extraterrestrials, and therefore there is only one man who could possibly be <laughs> our guest. You know him and love him from the E.T., the extraterrestrial episode. Uh, please welcome back Jeff Passano. Hi. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I just uh, I was just walking by because uh, I'm your neighbor, and then you were like, <laughs> come in and listen to this bit I'm going to do at the top of this podcast. And I was like, you probably want to just keep moving on about your day. <laughs> <laughs> but nope, you're trapped. Here you are. You are a captive audience. You're holding a microphone. You are chained to a chair, and we're going to make you talk about Close Encounters of the Third Also, guy. Jeff brought um, caramel popcorn from so, the Arclight. If you hear Carla mowing down periodically throughout this episode, uh, that's what's going on. So it's good. Fr- it's true. I, and I got this uh, free at the Arclight when I went and saw um, Spielberg produced Jurassic World 2. Uh-huh. Is that out already? Uh, it is. How was it? Well, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Jurassic World 2? Isn't it? It's Fallen Kingdom, right? Is that what? Okay, the, yeah. I knew that there was some kind of uh, yeah. subtitle to it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I decided uh, to skip it, and I'm feeling good about that decision. Yeah. I'm not not going to get suckered into seeing a uh, a summer blockbuster just because they want me. They want to trick me to get in that opening weekend. <laughs> There, there are a lot of tricks out there for you, <laughs> and I don't really care you about. Follow I don't care about Jurassic Park movies. Yeah, none of them. No, oh. I don't care. I look. I have no problems with the first one, but it's not like a major event in my life. Right. For people who are about ten years younger than me, Jurassic Park 1993 is one of the major events of their life. It seems like yeah. events or just movies. Events. No. <laughs> I liked it a lot. I saw it in the, not the new one, the original, yeah. the drive-in with my family. Yeah, I saw the original one in theaters in 93 several times. Yeah. My favorite. It was an event for me. My it favorite. My, an enormous It was an event. Nice. See? Oh, there we go. Boy. My my favorite of the originals was Jurassic Park 3. That's I, weird. I liked the That's best. That's very weird. Yeah. Which one was that? Was that with Julianne It was not Moore? directed by Spielberg. That it was, was Joe o- Johns. It was only like an hour and a half long. Was it with <laughs> Julianne Moore? Mm-hmm. I think so. No, no. That's the second one. This is the one with uh, Taylor Leone, right? 
Oh, I think Taya Leone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe Alessandro Nivolo was in it. came back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I liked Three a lot because it was made kind of like uh, just a B film. Yeah. Like it didn't have any um, aspirations to be anything other than just a cheesy B movie. And I thought it accomplished what it set out to do. So you have low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to see this new Jurassic Park movie. We got we got a little bit off track. Here. Not impressed by dinosaurs. Don't care. Yeah, and we're not here to talk about that today. We're here to talk about Steven Spielberg's first movie ever, Firelight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fire- I didn't watch that one. I don't think. Oh, you didn't watch Firelight, uh-uh. Carla? Firelight <laughs> is my number twenty-eight favorite movie. Uh, no, this is a movie, a feature-length movie he made when he was seventeen. Firelight, yes, and Close Encounters in a lot of ways is supposedly the big remake of it. That's what, interesting. Uh, the yeah. A lot of the stuff in Close Encounters was in Firelight way back then. What was some of the stuff? You know, a mo- <laughs> I think a mountain. There was a thing of a mountain, and I haven't seen like, Firelight. And I, I don't I think, think there's. Hard, any, I think it's hard to get. I don't think there's anything more than five minutes of footage that is still existing. Like somehow it got destroyed, and I knew it was like a calling card when he first started like submitting stuff to work at studios, right? I think, and I think some of the reels got lost or or something. I don't know if he's maybe suppressing it. Back in those days, you couldn't just dump it onto like VHS tape or DVD. Yeah, hmm. but he d- <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> But aren't you impressed that 17-year-old no, Spielberg made a feature-length film I am. I think that's about very aliens? Steven Sp- I mean, if only it had paid off for him in some way. <laughs> uh, so this movie came out in 1977. I'm sorry. That was rude. I did think that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you apologizing, apologizing to? Jeff, Jeff or Spielberg? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, this is before you were born. Were you born in 1977? I was born in 1977, but uh, not before this movie came out. Not a moviegoer. Okay. I was not a moviegoer either <laughs> in 1977. I did see this movie in the theaters when it came out. It came out the same year as Star Wars, so that's mm-hmm. a pretty big year in movies for me. I believe I just saw it with my mom. I think my mom took me to see this. and I think it came out right around Christmas time, 77. It was going to be a summer release, and they didn't have all the effects ready yet, and so I guess they held on to it, uh, which paid off for Oscar season because it was nominated for eight Academy Awards and winning eight, eight Academy That's Awards. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And winning, sorry. Winning one. Best I thought it won two. portrayal of a mother. Who could it have gone to? <laughs> Terry Gar or the other mom? <laughs> yeah, that's a category they don't have anymore. Best betrayal of a mother. <laughs> a mother in crisis. Mother in crisis. The mother in crisis word goes to Liza Minnelli. Uh, <laughs> what was the award? They won? won for cinematography for Vilmos ah. Zygmunt's uh, inimitable uh color and light laden cinematography but it also got a special <laughs> special award for uh sound effects right. which wasn't a category at the time oh i noticed I the see, sound effects that was cool yeah it did it did have sound effects in yeah it. i yeah. noticed them i did i noticed them <laughs> what was your favorite sound effect when he threw everything through the the kitchen window like all of the the garbage, uh-huh. and then he jumped through the house, and you just heard this incredible clang that could have not possibly come from that room. <laughs> uh, that was my favorite part. 
But sound effects don't have to be literal. They merely have to be emotionally true. So well, <laughs> if you feel like as this Indiana family is being teared apart by this uh, man's descent into madness and uh, throwing dirt and trees into his living room, mm-hmm. if, the, if that maybe that's the sound is emotionally what Terry Gar hears in that moment. I buy that. Okay. She was driving yeah, she away. Was already gone. She, yeah, there's no way she heard that. The neighbors were pissed, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, that nosy neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the classic, the epitome of a nosy neighbor in this movie <laughs> right she doesn't really have a personality she's just just a lot of side eye yeah she, yeah i'm surprised she didn't call the police on him like so many of the viral videos we see today yeah <laughs> she seems like someone who would do that to her neighbors especially after he um took the fence away from, from her ducks yeah <laughs> she just gave it to him she was like just take it just get it out of here but yeah, she she's got uh, a bunch of ducks and other birds. <laughs> she has a, in a yeah, in a weird stop little area. pond and with the little chicken wire. I love uh, that. That felt so. Is it? Does it take place in very, California? No, no, it doesn't. no. Yeah. Muncie, Indiana. Oh, you're so right. Because I was like, that felt so California to me <laughs> to have like a fake pond in your backyard, full of real, well, real it, ducks. It yeah. feels very Midwest too, because my neighbors had a fake pond in their yard as well. Did they? Yeah. But is the chicken wire Are really... Are talking about your family? No. My family's neighbors. <laughs> when I say chicken wire, I mean duck wire, of course. Is the right. duck wire keeping in the ducks? I mean, can't they just fly so. over it? Okay. Their wings are probably clipped. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She she would have taken care of that. So she has every right to be pissed. I moved the popcorn across the table and I just stuck my hand across <laughs> I know. the table. And then you took your it. arm out of the sling to get to it. I did. Let's focus, guys. Close encounters of the third kind. <laughs> Is, uh, is about, uh, aliens, uh, coming to visit us here on Earth. And mm-hmm. it follows a few different parallel storylines, story, parallel storylines. <laughs> which He's then, been possessed by an alien. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what's going on. What is this thing that I'm holding, by the way? What does it remind you of? A shake Are you weight. trying to find an answer for this question for real? <laughs> yes, yes. It looks like a microphone. Okay, okay, thank you. Or an ice cream cone, maybe? Oh, sorry. Maybe an ice cream cone. What flavor? <laughs> Duck. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's a fancy, like, salt and straw. Duck flavor. But our hero is a an electrician played by Richard Dreyfus named Roy Neary, uh, who has... As heroes often are. <laughs> mm-hmm. He has a close encounter of the second kind, I believe, because there is physical evidence, maybe the burn on his face... Uh, and a close encounter of the first kind of, of just seeing, uh, a fl- oh. seeing a flying saucer. I get where you're going with this. Um, but is not believed by his wife, played by Terry Gar. Uh, he has three small children. But is the he- third kind touch? <laughs> the third kind is actually seeing a being. Yeah, interaction with S- a being. Interaction so the with first a kind being. is just seeing a spaceship? Yes. And then the second kind is where it leaves behind some sort of physical evidence that it had been there. So like a crop circle would be oh. an encounter of the second kind or if it bowls over a telephone wire or something like that. And then the third kind is you actually see the being. Yes. Yeah. What's the fourth kind? The money shot. Uh, they're actually, I think a fourth kind, th- these were developed by a, a kiss, a a kiss UF- with an alien. I don't know if you say, <laughs> yes, a tongue, tongue with tongue, kiss with tongue. A little make out sesh. <laughs> the fourth kind, fourth base, you've reached home. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> these were developed by a ufologist named uh, Alan Hynek. Uh, these are his theories. And then after he died, other people have added other kinds to the list of close uh-huh. encounters. And I believe the fourth kind is abduction. Uh-huh. So right. at the end, he... Richard Dreyfus. I mean, spoilers. Richard Dreyfus gets fourth. Kind he's of. had he's yeah. had the big four. He's had all well, four. He, he's he gone really all the way around the bases. As much as he was like, hey, let's no, hang he out. Went, even if you want to go at some point, I mean, it's like where's abduct? Where's the line between abduction and willingness? You know, I see what you're saying. Sure, I've, the line was I've blurred. Been reading a lot of articles recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we also follow a woman in his town named uh, Jillian, played by Melinda Dillon, uh, and her young boy Barry is abducted by the aliens. Barry, <laughs> Barry, Barry, where are you? I think I feel, I feel like her most of her dialogue is just saying Barry. Well, she was nominated for a saying Barry. <laughs> she was a woman saying Barry. Best performance <laughs> by a woman saying Barry. Barry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, t- way too early for Bill Hader to get nominated, but. Uh, uh, I guess he doesn't say his own name <laughs> on that show. <laughs> Good joke, Craig. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't even seen that show. So I didn't. But we're also following uh, some uh, scientists and government agents who are also tracking these aliens. Uh, a team led by a French scientist. Truffaut. Played by Francois Truffaut. Uh, he has a English translator played by Bob Balaban. 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 <laughs> and... Uh, but so I, it, it's really con- kind of contrasting what's going on with these working class people who are having these encounters with aliens that they don't understand and the government to do have some inkling of what's going on. But these scenes don't tell us much about what they know. We have to kind of like pick it up through context. Uh, and so that's one of the things I really like about this movie is that uh, although we're constantly cutting to Francois Truffaut and his team, uh, it gives us very little information about what's going on. So it's we're kind of in the same place as Roy Neary throughout this movie and it's only at the end that we kind of understand where all this is is heading correct yep. <laughs> okay that all that all checks out agreed that's um, what i saw so I, I i was brought to this movie as a child loved it then have always loved it as a child as a child i was eight years old eight years old when you saw this yeah Okay. I mean, it wasn't the same as seeing Star Wars, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, like, Star Wars was my favorite film at the time, blew my mind, was exciting. I had all the toys and everything. As far as I know, there's not a toy line along with Close Encounters. It's a much more adult movie. Yeah. And I definitely didn't get a lot of what was going on with the scientists watching the movie for the first time. And I definitely didn't get the hoax uh, the, the government cover up story that there's a nerve gas spill. And so they have to evacuate this whole area around Devil's Tower, Wyoming, where the aliens are going to land in order to evacuate all the people out of it. So I didn't understand that this was all a fake. Sometimes thing. even as an adult, that can be a little hard to pick up on, I think. In that, because there are de- there's dead livestock there, yeah. which is like, did the government kill those? Also, the birds when they pull the birds out of the car yeah, the, and they're dead, and the birds are dead, and it's, I guess supposedly it's a nerve agent that affects the animals, but not the humans or something. But uh, yeah, is that explained? But then they but point? then they do a crop dusting when they're running up that mountain, and it's they're like, ah, they'll just sleep for eight hours and wake up with a 
hell of a headache or whatever. Yeah, they say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it gets to one guy. Yes. Yeah. But the other two, I guess, are just out of reach of the... Yeah, that felt manipulative on the filmmaker's yeah. part. Just saying. <laughs> and who's the filmmaker? Um, Spielberg. <laughs> and then I went back to see this again when the special edition came out in 1980. So... Uh, that wasn't much time. It wasn't much time. Three years later, they released the special edition. And do you know what the hook of the special edition was? CGI. <laughs> <laughs> We've invented CGI 13 years before Jurassic yeah. Park. Uh, no, it was uh, to see inside the spaceship. Did we see inside the spaceship? We did not in the version that we watched. We watched the director's cut. By the way. Yeah, you should make that clear up front which version you watch. Yes. Craig's listeners, uh, Jeff actually loaned us his DVD, which has three major editions of it. The original 1977 release, the 1980 special edition, and then a director's cut that Spielberg did in the early... 93, I think. Oh, 93. I think it's around okay. 93, yeah. We should not be watching the director's cuts of anything. We should just watch it as it was released. Oh, do you okay. disagree with us? <laughs> because well, it depends they on what manipulate it. The, yeah, but the oftentimes the directors list. make it not as good of a movie. Well, there's things like Touch of Evil that was completely recut that it wouldn't be on my list if it wasn't the uh, All right. The updated but version. But did you have an opinion about Close Encounters? Meaning like, uh, did you prefer one over the other? He might have been getting to that. He was saying he saw it at 8 and hey, 77. Hey, hey, hey. And then I'm went a co-host, all right? I'm not just a guest. I'm allowed to interrupt, <laughs> pursue, and persist. Get to things faster? All right. I will say that any version of this would be on my top, would be in my top 50. Any version. Would. Interesting. Even the special edition version. Well, I haven't seen it in a while, <laughs> okay. so maybe I'll, I'll give it a shot. Which, but... which one do you prefer? Or were you planning on telling us and I just interrupted? <laughs> I was going to get to that. I was going to let it unfold over several hours and let you piece it together. But um, no, I'll get to it now. That's fine. You're a, you are a co-host, so I can answer you. Uh, I think I, I would. I do think the director's cut would be my preferred version of this film. Um, yeah, I trust Mr. Spielberg. No. All right. Well, the. Uh, he asked for more money. This movie already ran kind of over time and over budget. And Columbia Pictures was in financial straits at the time. Uh, and I think the scene that he really wanted was the shot of the ship in the desert. That was, yeah. Was that for reshot sure. for he the wanted, special edition? He wanted more of, um, more stuff like that in, in there. There was also, he also thought the scene, well, I guess from test audiences of the first go around, people were maybe thought the uh, Richard Dreyfus going mad and throwing all the stuff in his house and building that thing in a, in the middle of his house was maybe a little too much, and so he wanted to cut that down. So that's all cut down. That's a cut lot down in, in the special, special edition, edition. Oh, not in funny. the version we watch. And um, he always wanted the song "When You Wish Upon a Star" at the end, and test audiences originally were like very ho-hum on that so he took it out of the original version put it back in for the special edition and took it out for the director's cut so why do you prefer the director's cut over the original version not the special edition version the uh i like the additional material that he went and shot for the special edition i don't like the stuff that he cut down and cut out like i i think it i i like the fact that you see more of 
Richard Dreyfuss's descent into sort of madness and that it goes on for so long makes you like, I think, one more sympathetic to Terry Garr mm-hmm. and her situation and getting out of there. And you really believe it more as he's really uh, transfixed on this and like it really affects mm-hmm. him. So I think having the shorter version of that sort of scene makes it but that's why you, more trite. you don't like the special edition version. But why do you prefer the director's version? The because director's it's got ev- because it's got everything. It's got everything except got it. for the going into the spaceship, okay. which you don't need. Yeah, Spielberg. The studio really wanted to see the interior of the spaceship, and that was the hook when it was re released in 1980. Uh, no pun intended on hook. Um, None taken. And, <laughs> and uh, but Spielberg doesn't believe it should have been shown. He never liked that footage. And then when he made the director's cut, he took all of that stuff out. He wanted to leave it a mystery in terms of what's inside. So oddly, the special edition was shorter in running time than the original movie because mm-hmm. of all the stuff that he cut out of it. Uh, but I remember watching it in 1980 and, and remembering all that because st- I think it just cut to him making a giant devil's tower in his living room mm-hmm. with very little explanation as to you know why the family left and wh- how he got all that stuff in the in the house mm. and uh yeah although it is kind of uh, uh a painful scene to watch i think it, it the movie plays better with all that stuff in there has anybody ever seen a picture of steven spielberg's mother yes <laughs> yes does she look like all of the women in his early movies i thought you were i thought you were going to say like does she exist? Puck the alien at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Does she look like the alien at the end of this movie? Because there is a little bit of that. No, uh, I don't believe she's blonde. Oh, I thought um, I think she is blonde. Is she blonde? I thought she had like short, like sort of pixie blonde cut. Oh. But maybe that's just in her older years. So the mom and E.T., Terry Garr, yeah. Melinda Dillon, and then I would even argue what's her face? <laughs> From Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom, his wife. Kate Capshaw. Kate Capshaw. They all look very similar. Am I the only one who thinks this? Blondes with feathered hair. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I... Thin and tall. Yeah. It was the craze at the time, though, too. But they... Oh, and even the, the mom and poltergeist, which we, we decided... Joe Beth Williams. I've decided. Oh, you and I talked about this. I for, forgot for a second that you weren't on that podcast, Jeff, but Jeff and I talked about it, that we decided that Spielberg definitely directed that. Yeah, I agree. She looks, Jo Beth will, oh no, she's brunette, isn't she? She is brunette. But she's still like, I don't know, still kind of similar. Anyways. White women? All white women look alike to me. (laughs) They don't know. (laughs) We all look very different, actually. But I don't look like any of those women. Most women in TVs and movies around this time looked like that. Okay. I think it's creepy. I mean, Charlie's Angels, you know, it's it was the type. To the point where when I – so I never saw this when I was younger. I think I only saw it when we did the boat together, Craig, like 10 years ago when we worked on the Second City Boat. That was the first time you saw it? Yeah. Okay. And I think in my memory I thought they were the same character. <laughs> Terry Gar and Melinda Dillon. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I could see it, that. I, was like, I think oh. early on – uh, or I saw this movie early on in my life, and when I, after several years thinking back on it, I was like, "Wait, which one did Terry Gar play?" And mm-hmm. which one? Like, I, I confused the two because they are similar looking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you I think that she you. sold those pictures of the aliens? 
Yes. Melinda Dillon. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, she snapped a bunch of photos at the end. Yep. I hope she did. I hope she did too. I, she's going to need some money. I doubt her pictures came out that good. She was very far away and she did not have a telephoto lens. So I don't think a lot of those pictures came out as they were showing us they were coming out. I mm. think I think the military is going to be all over it too. Yeah. Like they're, they're going to confiscate that camera. Mm. All right. Well, <laughs> nice try. So Gary's did, mom. Did you watch this after E.T.? Because you saw E.T. when you were quite young, right? Uh, yeah. E.T. was the first uh, movie... Um, well, that I remember seeing. Uh, yeah, I definitely saw it after E.T. Uh, I think probably my first viewings of this were maybe on TV. So that was even a fourth cut because that's a different, the TV edited version is a different amalgamation of scenes and cuts of it. So, yeah, I think when they started showing it on TV, they would use footage from all the versions. So it was not something approved by Spielberg at all. Yeah. And it played out very awkwardly edited. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of that. I think in college there might have been uh, – I went and saw like a midnight screening uh, of it at a local movie theater that would do like um, screenings like that. So I saw it on the big screen probably back then. <coughs> um I've seen it on the big screen a couple times. I've seen it on the big screen uh, as an adult to, as well. And yeah. it's it's definitely a movie to see on the big screen. Uh, Carly, you did not see it on the big screen. <laughs> nope. Never. Uh, not once. Mm-mm. So uh, do you feel like seeing it on TV leaves something to be desired? I, I'm just not. I didn't really like this movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> either no. time. Either time that I saw it. No, share, share how you feel. Don't hold back. What, and I uh, can't believe that this is this much higher than E.T. Like E.T. is is a much better film than this is. Well, when did we do E.T.? It wasn't that long ago. It's not that much higher. Isn't it like a 20 film it difference? Felt, it, it felt like a long time. I thought you were on a second podcast by now, <laughs> to be honest with well, you. Well, we, we have not Cause, been. Because we ended that other one with E.T. as number one, right? Right. E.T. is the number one movie. <laughs> so now we're on a different hundred. You're a second hundred. Well, I will say that E.T., you know, because I... Obviously, I'm updating the list as we go. Yes. So theoretically, the most recent movie we've done should always be the new number one, you know, if, if the list is holding up. But E.T. is still my favorite that we've covered so far on this podcast. So at the end of this episode, I'll reveal whether I like E.T. or Close Encounters oh, better. Okay. But you're not. Wow. You're, shit you're, just got real. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned, everyone. Stay tuned. Can't hang up now, guys. <laughs> And by hang up, I mean press the off button. This is, this is one of those eight hundred. Those uh, what was it? Those numbers you would call? Yeah. To this yeah. This is an eight hundred number. The Nielsen ratings are showing we're losing half our podcast audience <laughs> at the halfway point. So I'm just trying to, to drop a hook, a hook in there to keep pun intended this still time. No, still no pun that I understood. Carla, why are you not into this movie? I. I can freely admit that it's maybe because I saw it as an adult and had already seen many more episodes of the X-Files that were way more entertaining. Than oh. this. I find this movie to be just boring. I'm just bored. I've been bored both times I've seen it. I'm not scared. I don't think it's scary. I guess I'm supposed to. I don't, don't get nervous for scary him. I'd never get nervous for him. I'm not invested in him. Uh, he's a, I can't believe he just like leaves his family. At the they leave him. Movie. They leave him. Because he's being crazy. Also, she doesn't say, I'm divorcing you. She says, I'm going to my sister's house for the night. <laughs> I'm taking the kids to my sister's house for the night. You know? Well, 
Spielberg said years later, after becoming a father, that he thinks he screwed up by. It just feels totally unbelievable to me. What not, is it? not unbelievable? I shouldn't say that. Maybe I'm, there are plenty of dads who leave their kids. What yeah, am I talking about? I think it's probably I think you, it's more, you can't connect to. You wouldn't do. You wouldn't make those same choices, right? Well, and, so. and not even that. But it's like we don't understand his obsession with the aliens. We just see him freaking out. So I don't. It's not like he spent his whole life researching aliens, right? No, I think that's that's what's interesting about it. He's just a regular guy going about mm-hmm. his job. He has this, if you will, close encounter of sorts uh, with these. First or second, one and a half kind. <laughs> yeah. Well, then there's the guy from E.T. who the... Um, Keys? Yeah. On Van Nuys? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, his full name. Now I'm going to have that song name. in my head forever. Uh, who who talks to Elliot about, you know, being obsessed with aliens his entire life and how it's, yeah. you know, so overwhelming to see one in person. <clears throat> like, if that character had been Richard Dreyfus, then maybe I could have understood more. But I just, uh, but beyond that, there, nothing really happens in this movie. A giant fucking spaceship <laughs> comes out of the sky and aliens and brings come back out of- a lot of airmen, former airmen. And Have also you guys like, seen Independence like German Day? bar winches or something mm-hmm. of like there's yeah, some. There's a German Have you bar seen winch? Independence Day? ID4? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm familiar with the movie. So this, this that movie no, does the, no, the alien stuff way it. better. Independence Day is a piece <laughs> of shit. I really like Independence Day. No, it's a terrible movie. Just okay, fine. We don't have to. This is a totally subjective process, right? Yes. And I'm telling you from my subjective point of view that nothing happens in this movie. I can't wait for Independence Day for <laughs> on Carla's list. Even the scariest part, in quotes, I'm putting it. You can't see it, listeners, but I'm doing it right against the microphone. Uh, when the aliens are coming to get Barry, the little boy. Like they just the scariest thing that happens is they unscrew the screws yeah. to the heating vent, which doesn't make sense because all you see is fog, and then he's just gone. It's great. That's such a great sequence of the screws coming out and then them coming down the the fireplace. I've and just she seen has to- so many more, so many much more sp- suspenseful f- films than this, and. If I had seen it in 1977 when I was but a mere thought of the universe, <laughs> perhaps I would feel differently. If I had seen it in 1987, perhaps I would have felt differently. But I didn't. And I'm just telling you, as somebody who came to this very late, that it's not all that. What about the uh, what about the finale, though? I mean, don't you like all the effects of the, the ships showing up and the aliens coming out? Yeah, sure. But nothing's happened up to that point. So... It doesn't really feel like, a, I mean, it feels like a payoff, but it doesn't, it doesn't make the movie better. I think it's specifically because he's a regular Joe. He's not a scientist. He doesn't have any awareness or interest in uh, flying saucers. Uh, he just has this experience, which he can't understand. It opens his mind to the possibility that there's something out there and he becomes obsessed uh, with following sure. it. I mean, it's a, it's a movie about obsession. Is Richard Dreyfus? Does he really give you a regular Joe vibe, though? <laughs> I mean, he really doesn't. I don't think. Well, Spielberg originally wanted to cast Steve McQueen. True. Uh, and got as far as is giving the script to Steve McQueen. Uh, they also, I guess, offered it to Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman, and James Caan at different times. But Dreyfus 
uh, was constantly nagging Spielberg while they were shooting Jaws to cast him in this movie. Oh. <laughs> and eventually broke down his defenses. And when Spielberg realized that he wanted the character to be sort of naggish, then he was like, oh, Richard Dreyfus is the perfect... I mean, he just seems like an eccentric to me and everything. The, I laughed. I'm sorry, but I was trying to finish. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll split he, the, he seems, I'll split he the, seems like an eccentric person. I'll split always. the difference between you two. Mm-hmm. I only sort of like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, I mean, I like Spielberg a lot. Look, there's lots of stuff in this movie that I like a lot. Like image, images for sure. The music for sure. Um, different scenes are fantastic. As a movie as a whole, I don't really like, it doesn't make me extremely passionate or, you know, um, you know, get me going like i don't love <laughs> revisiting it i guess i don't know yeah. it's it's just sort of you know it's nice it's sort of somewhere in the middle of my my spielberg list i would say Oof. towards the higher end but in the middle i guess somewhere mm-hmm. uh-huh um it's, boring. <laughs> it's not boring i mean i'm sorry i'm not trying to hurt i don't actually i'm not sorry because i did feel like it was boring i don't mean to hurt your feelings of course um, so now go ahead, go tell well, us. Well, what about the sequence when he's in his truck? You know, you see these headlights come up behind him and then a car goes around and like, Hey, you're in the middle of the road, asshole. Um, and then he, he calls them a turkey. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then sud- line. suddenly this other vehicle comes up behind him with two sets of bright headlights and then it lifts straight up. <laughs> over the car and then everything in the car goes crazy all the gauges go crazy uh and then all all of the stuff kind of float you know defying gravity and floating and i mean that's an incredible sequence it's cool and then uh just seeing the the shadow of the mothership flying over uh the midwestern terrain maybe you know? i just have ufo fatigue i don't know <laughs> like i just don't really it didn't see anything in this movie that I hadn't ever seen before. Yeah. Well, then you're unlucky to come to it too late because this movie definitely like activated my sense of wonder and still like holds on to it years later. Because mm-hmm. you're an average I, Joe just waiting for that UFO to show up. But I, I like all the Francois Truffaut stuff too. Like I, I, I think those scenes are really cool and I, I like how it just kind of like gives us little clues at a time in terms of what's going on. Bob Balaban's kind of our surrogate there because he was just asked to translate and he doesn't really know just what's going on. Just a regular Joe either. Cartographer. Regular Joe Cartographer. Mm-hmm. His name in the movie is Joe Cartographer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think I'm the opposite though of you. Well, I don't know. I sort of always break it down into two different movies. I like all the stuff at the beginning. Like I like uh I like Truffaut and Balaban finding those weird mm-hmm. like anomalies around the world. I love the stuff in India when that you know Where did it come from? Distant, yeah, and all the hands pointing up the That's such a great shot. coming into the frame yeah. is uh fantastic. Um I love the beginning the opening scene where uh they've just seen all these World War Two airplanes and Balaban's inner you know, interpreting for Truffaut, interviewing this guy who saw the light come out and sing to him in the sky. And he's just sort of like, as he's translating, he's just backing up into the, you know, backing away from like, this thing is bigger than uh, I think I realized I was getting into. That stuff is all great. I love um, the dynamic of this 
family of uh, um, Richard Dreyfus and Terry Garr and their kids and the sort of destruction of it and and someone being so like sort of self-centered and narcissistic and uh, I think it's a good sort of representation of that sort of lifestyle and mm-hmm. family dynamic. Um, the split for me comes when they finally realize it's Devil's Tower and the journey to Devil's Tower and then this whole like opera uh, symphony thing at the end uh, with the ships is like it's a totally different type of movie. Like, well, those are almost three different types of movies. Mm-hmm. Like you've got this sort of real sort of gritty sort of thing that feels more like Sugarland. Uh, express at the beginning and then um uh and then you've got the sort of journey like little journey thing and then you've got this weird sort of artistic uh abstract sort of part at the end and so they don't all go together as one thing for me which is why i like remembering the movie more so than i actually like watching the movie Mm -hmm. because i can remember either just bits and parts of those things yeah, I wonder if I would feel differently if they had just focused on one element, breaking it up slightly differently than you just did, which is the three storylines, like the mother and her son, uh, Richard Dreyfus and his family, or just the scientists. It felt like he was building to a, it felt like Spielberg was giving, was holding back information from us enough that he was building to some sort of reveal. And then at the end, the reveal is really just the aliens. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, but we already knew that they were aliens. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be following necessarily. But you don't know what they look like. Okay, sure. (laughs) Yeah. But, but at that point I don't care because I don't really know, you know, the thread that I'm supposed to be following. I mean, if it had just been a story about a family trying to deal with their father, if he may or may not have seen aliens, like, you know, that's one thing. But. I mean, 2001 definitely changed the game for science fiction. Uh, but and obviously this came out the same year as Star Wars, but science fiction was not that common a genre and definitely not something that you really strove for. uh something artistic and something adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, this really being a thinking person's sci-fi movie, but, uh, but less cold than 2001 with, you know, actual human characters that you can re- a, relate to. There's also a difference when this came out, very few science fiction movies present, uh, aliens, of uh, as friendly, benign, as yeah. friendly, like, Everything was very mm-hmm. confrontational. And it was a struggle in the early process of developing this. Spielberg wasn't sure that he could have a climax to a movie without a confrontation. That was just like, everything's fine. Go uh, go in peace. Mm-hmm. like Because uh, you're building and building, and then everything's just okay, and then it's okay. So, uh, which it might be true. Maybe so then, you can't really do that. Then I beg the question of this podcast... <laughs> Am I supposed to watch these movies with the specific time and place that they were created (laughs) in mind, like within that context? Or am I supposed to be evaluating them based on if they hold up to a a movie that I would be interested in watching today? Because we can sit here and talk about the technical innovations of any of these movies on your list, you know, and how they were 
different than anything else that was being made at the time. And that's interesting to a point, but if I'm not watching it within that context, I still have to be able to say whether or not it's an enjoyable or fun movie for me. Right. No, I think you need to watch it with the context that it came. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I quit. (laughs) No, obviously. I mean, I mean, I know it's obvious, but I have to remind you of that sometimes when you seem so disappointed by my reaction (laughs) to these films, which is just like, these are important to you because of when you first saw them. But Context that, is everything. It's everything. <laughs> and I, yeah. It is and it isn't. But, you know, some stuff it holds up and, and, and can make you feel the same. I think there's a genuine, I think there's a genuine part of this movie, of watching this movie that even, no, film technology has come so much further than it was then. Yes, the effects in this are, extremely remarkable for the time um and they're still pretty impressive today um, because they're all physical effects uh mostly i mean physically made and then uh composited on top of uh the film but um uh there is a there is a sense of like you do get that still wonderment uh feeling which i think is the main emotion that he wanted you to feel watching this movie is the sense of wonder of what is out there that's bigger than us that um is worth going and leaving earth for or Mm. whatever i think there's something to that and i think you know yes you can look at something does it make sense and you just do you just watch it in that time or do you watch it as something today and I think you always need to watch something today, but someone who saw it earlier is not going to be able to forget their experience. Of course, a hundred percent, and that's exactly what I just said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I just didn't experience that wonderment. So it didn't work for you. It didn't work for me. I'm sorry you did not feel <laughs> wonderment. <laughs> um, no, I mean I, I totally get, it. and I wouldn't want anything less than your uh, honest accurate uh impressions of watching this movie in 2018 okay that's what you're paid for that's what you why you oh, get the big i've not been getting any checks <laughs> that's why you get the big bucks carla you've been venmoing me i haven't checked this is your role this is why you're here i will say my feelings are hurt more than usual on this one. i can tell that's why i feel like i'm having to really remind you <laughs> of these things because i can tell that your feelings are hurt, and that does make me feel bad of course i would never want to hurt your feelings <laughs> The, uh, I always get, when I try to think of, uh, in terms of lists, like, uh, you do in terms of favorites, I always get bogged down. Like, I can think of, like, maybe one, two, three, four, five, maybe, but then it's like, okay, am I judging things based on whether I think something's well made and well put together and what's the best put together thing or what's the thing that I gravitate to want to watch more? Cause those two things can a lot of times be, you know, mm-hmm. it diverges pretty fast after like maybe the first couple. So uh, that's where I struggle, like, you know, putting together some sort of list or something. Yeah. Like you. So I never know where you come from. Like, are you just looking at something of 
technically like how it's put together and whatever or is it just like what you want to sit down and watch and sometimes it seems like a mix of both and i mean it is a mix uh i i think a lot of times when people talk about their favorites they're talking about watchability mm-hmm. and i don't think every movie I'm, i mean some of these movies on my list i only watch every seven or eight years uh and and some of those carla can't even believe i'd ever watch a second time <laughs> you know or first time, <laughs> or first time. um but I think, uh, I think most people seem to think of it as this is the movie as whenever it's on TV, I'll start watching in the middle, you know, I'll watch it 20 times, you know, in a weekend, you know, <laughs> if it's just on, you know, um, and that's not so much a factor for me, but, and, and somebody just asked me this online recently too, uh, of, referring to my list as the best and I, I don't think they're the best. They're just my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's favorite doesn't necessarily mean watchability or like joy. Right. <laughs> necessarily, you know. So I, I think there is some sort of like. So uh, this is a movie that gives you joy though. This is one of the ones that gives you joy or something that you just I see think as so, a technical yeah. like achievement. No, I think it goes, goes beyond that. I think technically it's immaculate, but I think it's also like emotionally very resonant for me. And I, I just love how. The story unfolds, and I think the the end is uh, the perfect payoff to everything that we've been led up to. Uh, I, I I relate to the emotions of, of this movie. Do you believe in aliens? Hmm, good question, Jeff Passano. Uh, I think there's something out there. Yeah, yeah. Have, I've never when, asked you that. When have you? When did you think that? Like from an early age? Have you been like? I don't know that I th- I was actually going through and reading some of the uh the famous ufo or alien encounters that people have had there's one in kentucky uh i forget what it's called but it's uh it's a family uh in 1955 that claimed that they were their house was being bombarded by little green men the the snowdens (laughs) that's my my former life name Your maiden name. Her life name is what it's usually My called. former life, life name. Uh, what is it called? It's like the Hopkinsville incident or something like that. But And the most common theory about it now is that they were uh, attacked by, by owls. Hey, just <laughs> like the staircase lady. And Anyone? Anyone? No? <clears throat> the staircase lady. I don't know that one. All right. People listening know what I'm talking about. That's all that matters. And that they were a little drunk, too. And then there's a, a husband and wife in uh, a little drunk. <laughs> 1960s New Hampshire who claimed they were abducted. I remember like around the time – I must have – this movie must have gotten me into like UFOs and stuff like that because I remember having a lot of books about it. Yeah. I remember like watching In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy like would cover uh, flying saucers a lot. Uh, I – Definitely like in, in books about Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster. Like I had all that kind of stuff at the time. Um, most of that stuff uh, has been debunked thoroughly right. at this point. But uh, but it was interesting to go back and, and look at look it up on Wikipedia and to see uh, how much people don't believe uh, the, these particular stories that I remembered vividly uh, in the books that I was getting as being evidence that aliens had visited us. I can I can imagine as if you were eight years old going to see this movie to be the with the uh, quality of the effects, like to actually start to think uh, that's an impressionable age to like start to really get into a sense of like 
curiosity about what's out there and what's beyond us. Yeah. A, a big inspiration I know for Spielberg making this movie was when he was five, his dad coming in in the middle of the night and waking him up and taking him out to see a meteor shower. And he'd never really thought about anything outside of, you know, his neighborhood before then. And now here's this whole other world. And that's what got him thinking. And so I can see that same sort of thing maybe happening for you being taken to this movie at such a young age, too. Did his dad leave him when he was a kid? Well, it's an interesting story. I mean, all all of his movies are about absentee dads, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially his early ones. But, yeah, his parents did separate and then got back together like years later, right? And they are still together this day? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, I have a tendency to only sort of look into celebrities' personal lives and then uh, stop. But it was covered in that HBO Spielberg. Caring. But yeah, movie. they are, yeah, she left, they, she, I think she might have had an affair or something and, right, and they, right. they split, but they didn't really, as kids, know. And so they just, he just always saw his dad as having left them and didn't know what the cause of it was for. So he always sort of latched on to being sort of abandoned by his father. And then, but I think they were still, you know, friendly and, and, um, that sort of stuff. But, but then they remarried or they had never divorced that, that's or the like, part where I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I can't answer that correctly. Cause I don't really remember or care that much. Well, there's no way to, <laughs> no way to find out. Yeah, uh, not here. Not we gotta, we gotta move this along. Gentlemen, we're already 52 minutes in. Well, this will get cut down a lot. We're going to cut out all the personal stuff about Craig. Uh, I'm leaving this. I'm not making any edits to this. So, uh, Well, I think the best way to move it along then is to see what Carla said while this movie was unfolding when she was bored to tears. <laughs> and we'll do that through a feature that we call... Carla's quote. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's quotes. I want to thank you guys for actually having the band in to play that song this time. <laughs> uh, after last time, it's... it was such a is such a weird to see the sausage made was so weird last time to actually have it here. It's so much better live, yeah. right? Thank you, Jonathan Dinerstein. Uh, we'll uh, we'll Venmo you. Okay. Um, <laughs> We're watching it again on Jeff's DVD that he loaned us, and then the title screen comes up and play movie. I click on play movie. There's three options, and I say, oh, I think we want director's cut. And Carla said, oh, God, how much longer is it? (laughs) (laughs) This is before a second of the movie has unfolded. She's already directors really love themselves. (laughs) She's already worried about length. They they add too much. As Carla's reading the opening credits, she says, oh, Truffaut is in this. Who is that again? (laughs) (laughs) I think that was a lot of uh, America's impression at the time, too. Well, you probably know him best because we watched that documentary about the Hitchcock Truffaut book. Yeah. I mean, he was a... Uh, I knew he was a filmmaker. He's a f- yeah. French... Uh, I, you've never seen one of his movies. No. Uh, and French I don't, New Jules Wave, and Jim? right? French yeah. New Wave, yeah. You yeah. saw Jules and Jim? Nope. Jules and Jim, four, like 400 it. Blows. Day for Night is probably the one you would like the best, which actually... It's about making movies. It's about making movies. It stars Truffaut as a director not unlike himself. If you remember that commercial that Wes Anderson did for... American Express. For American Express, where they're like, they, it was such a, like a Wes Anderson-y thing, and he's playing himself in it, and they're like, which gun do you want, and nope, all that remember. stuff. Well, it's based on Truffaut's Day for Night. Oh. Great score by John Williams, by the way, unsurprisingly. Beautiful. 
He was nominated for this. And beautiful. Beautiful. Johnny Williams mm-hmm. with the music. This is one of those things where I'm – because just before E.T. you had uh, – you did um, uh, 2001, right, with uh, Eben yeah. Schletter. And I feel like you should have had Eben Schletter on for this one. With, it's got Trumbull with the special effects just like in 2001. You got a oh. score for this. You're right. Let's stop. Uh, I'm not the one for this <laughs> podcast. We're not going to listen to you pitch uh, <laughs> trying to get out of this. We're already – we're 55 minutes in at this point. Uh, it's happening. Well, it's another 55. It's happening. Um, but Spielberg and Williams went over all these different five-note combinations until they found bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. And that's just the perfect – Mouthful of popcorn. <laughs> That's the perfect mouthful of popcorn. Um, the, that's the perfect um, assortment of notes to communicate with aliens, I guess. That's what they said. <laughs> um, did you? I hope that the space force tr- tries that Ugh. when they meet when they meet them. <laughs> that's going to be the theme for space force. I I bet. Yeah, the theme from Close Encounters. They won't get the rights to it, of course. It's the Trump administration. Oh God. <laughs> At the end, when they're having a little... I forgot for 50 minutes that Donald Trump was president. <laughs> See, that's why you love this movie. <laughs> 50 whole minutes, I forgot. At the end, when the uh, when their synthesizer is having a duet with the mothership, uh, and then the, uh, the notes start to slow down, it's a little quote from another Williams score, right? Ju- He's quizzing you. Is it? Isn't it? I mean, I heard it that way. Uh, uh, because it, it starts to slow down. It goes... Dump, but um, but um, but um. From ET. I believe that. <laughs> yeah, that ominous ET theme. Whenever ET shows his head. <laughs> when well, ET's swimming under you. <laughs> uh, I bet he'd be a good. Well, he doesn't have any legs to kick, but his arms <laughs> would really get through the water. <laughs> uh, He'd sink. <laughs> Bob Balaban's told this story many times, but I, I, I enjoy it. When he was being cast for this, they asked him if he if he spoke French, and he answered back that I'm like I don't speak French very well. But he said it in French, and then all the people in the casting room just assumed like, oh well, he's fluent. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he got the part, he immediately crammed Berlitz courses to uh, remind himself of his uh, high school level French. Yeah. And then I guess met with Truffaut a bunch of times, and Truffaut did not speak very much uh, English. English. Yeah. Um, during that opening scene, they're in the Sonora Desert. They're seeing all these old uh, World War II fighter planes. Carla said, "Seems more like Indiana Jones to me so far." <laughs> Does it have? A, it has an Indiana Jones vibe in the beginning. <laughs> uh, and Bob Balaban during that opening scene keeps saying, "I don't understand," or some variations on that. And Carla said, "Hmm, none of us do. We don't know aliens." <laughs> <laughs> And then there's all this dust getting kicked up because they're in the Mexican desert. And Carla said, I hope none of these people have asthma. <laughs> Hilarious. Carla has asthma. It's very kind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's actually three scenes before we get to our hero, Roy Neary. Because Is we he ha- our hero? <laughs> He's not your hero, clearly. Um, Dreyfus, by the way, this was the year he won his Best Actor Oscar for The Goodbye Girl. Same year. Really? Oh, so, yeah. I thought that was before Jaws. It was... No, it was... After Jaws. Jaws was 75. Goodbye Girl and Close Encounters were 77. Mm. And he was the youngest actor to win Best Actor at this point. He was only 30 years old. He looks so much older than that. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Right. I mean, yeah. 30, I guess you could have three kids, well, eight or younger. I think but people he, in general looked older back then. They, yeah. We've than, been through this many times, and now. yes, they did. Everybody yeah. drank and smoked more. Like, I mean, he looks like a hard 45 to me in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no offense to any li- Craig's listeners who may be from Muncie, Indiana, but I don't believe Muncie, Indiana has as much elevation as uh, as this movie depicts, right? Like there's the there's no mountains. It was definitely shot in Southern California, right? Yes. No, it was shot in Alabama. Oh. Mostly mostly Alabama. But I, I think I think they did some exteriors in in around here, I think. Cuz yeah. I don't think Alabama has hills like that either, right? Well, they shot in Wyoming for the Devil at Devil sure. Power. Sure, sure. Sure, sure. And India. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we have the scene of Barry waking up in his house and all of his toys kind of going crazy, Carla said, yep, this is some real poltergeist shit right here. He must have directed poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But and I- also, can we, for while we're on the, the subject of that, the toys in that room, toys were frightening Yes, looking that in, in the seventies, like that monkey with the symbols. Monkey thing. This, I didn't know horrifying. the eyes popped out of that monkey with the symbols. That was awful. <laughs> but his eyes bug out. It's yeah. So it's a very frightening. Very similar very to the clown doll. Toys. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, maybe kids who had that aren't afraid of anything now when they grew up. Because <laughs> they saw the and scariest And that's why they're their able to vote for Trump. Oh. Just like you, Carla. <laughs> five minutes. It's been five whole minutes since the last time I remembered. They're so jaded, just like you, Carla. Hey. Uh, but Roy Neary still, ha- still has his childlike wonder. He's trying to take his kids to see another movie on Craigslist. Star Wars. <laughs> he wants to take his kids. It's he, something. He wants to take his kids to see Pinocchio. 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 So he's still got his sense of childlike wonder. He's a big kid. Uh, <laughs> everything has there's so much disney uh in spielberg's films, especially the early stuff like even the spaceships as they're going by on the road when they're when the um he liked to have two little baby spaceships like falling behind as like right, a right. disney movie to like you know there's always a little ducklings or whatever weird and then pinocchio obviously also <laughs> being a reference to when you wish upon a star uh so you're saying that in the special edition, they literally would cut to the version from Pinocchio for the, the credits? In the original the original version for the test screenings, they had the original... Of Cliff Edwards Cliff singing. Cliff Edwards it, yeah. singing. For the special edition, they had a orchestral instrumental version of When You Wish Upon a Star. And then um, for the director's cut, they went back to John Williams' score, which does have a, a couple little parts well, where it goes goes into when you wish upon a star as a but then gosh. williams quoted from it too in et right when et's ship makes the rainbow right um wasn't there a little quote i don't know if there's a quote of of that there as well <laughs> we don't know anything um <laughs> i don't think there is but and and roy being a uh, an electrician for the city of uh muncie is sent out to investigate this power outage but as we see this rolling blackout all throughout the uh the town carla says russia that's what russia is going to do to us <laughs> it's amazing how words. he has no idea where any of the roads are in his own town yeah <laughs> yeah he's constantly looking at this map yeah he never does any work nope <laughs> When those double headlights of the spaceship come behind him, Carla said, get your head out of your mouth. 
<laughs> There's a spaceship behind you. And then all of the power goes out. He has this this freaky encounter. The spaceship finally leaves. And then he gets scared by his own flashlight, which comes back on. Mm-hmm. And Car- Carla said, good scare, Spielberg. <laughs> so you had to give some props there. I yeah, had to. I do love that. Se- I do love that it's scene. Cool. I yeah. love that sequence. I love the way that Spielberg reveals things. Like even when this, the mailboxes start shaking behind him, the map is in full view of the frame and they just come down just to reveal his eyes. Like mm-hmm. it's not like it's stuff that you buy watching the movie, but like that's not how you would react. You'd like put the whole thing down and look right. behind you, but just to reveal your eyes of the actor, yeah, to give that, and then go back. It's just like the way he reveals stuff in shots is just so beautiful. He's pretty good, that guy. Yeah. Again, I that's why I love about him that he's such a visual filmmaker, and if he can get away with not telling you exposition and dialogue, he will take out the dialogue, which I, which I love. Um, which is why Steve McQueen might have been the right guy because uh, apparently he was famous for whenever he would get a script, he would just like scratch out pages and pages of dialogue of like he didn't want to learn any lines at all. And he's like, you can get this with a look on my face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, when Roy starts chasing the spaceships in his truck, he's like going through a tunnel. He's like uh, banging into walls and everything and knocking shit over. And Carla said, that's just like you when we were driving in Scotland. <laughs> Craig was driving on the wrong side of the road and scratched our Mercedes Benz that we rented. <laughs> I mean, it was the right side of the road there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was. Um and then uh, when he gets to the top of the hill, uh, there's a, a crazy old man whistling there. And Carla said, Robert Duvall's in this. Boo Radley? <laughs> but do you know who that, that actor... For, I did think it was... When I said that, I honestly did think it was Robert Duvall for a second. He looked like an old Robert Duvall, but yeah. Robert Duvall wasn't that old <laughs> at the time. Uh, but the actor, I believe his name is... Is it Roberts Blossom or Blossom Roberts? I hope it's Blossom Roberts. <laughs> yeah, it seems, no, that no, seems his more name, likely. His name is Roberts Blossom. Okay. Roberts Blossom is the name of that actor. But you know him from a favorite movie of yours where he played an old man. <gasps> well, gosh. White, what could it White be? Christmas. White Christmas. Um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. No. Uh, what was it? It's a movie that we're going to cover with yeah. Mark Evan Jackson. The, oh, Home the, Alone? The, the character was Old Man Marley. Oh, yes, of course. The neighbor. Yeah. And so that's the guy who and plays the, alone. that's the guy in Close Encounters who plays the crazy old man who later at the Air Force meeting is like, I saw Bigfoot one that's time. That's cool. <laughs> I don't know. This is the, this is the moment I want to mark it. This is the moment where I've just put together that those are the same, that's the same actor in those parts. Are you excited? Much like you with Catherine O'Hara. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she was from Beetlejuice and, and Home Alone. Home yeah. Alone. Well, maybe you're going to turn into the Mark world's it. biggest Robert Blossom fan. <laughs> Journal Obviously. it. Obviously. <laughs> I'm going to plant a bunch of Robert's Blossoms in my <laughs> garden. Here's Carla also during that chase sequence. Yeah, right. You can't catch him, you coppers. <laughs> <laughs> I think Carla hated this movie so much she was really trying to amuse herself with her quotes. <laughs> And then when he goes home to to wake up his kids to because he just had this alien encounter, he, he opens up his two boys are in this uh this bunk, bunk beds and they're both like nearly falling out of the bunks. Yeah. The kid in the top two is like half out of the bunk bed and Carla's like, Nobody sleeps like that. No, totally I love the way all of those kids were sleeping. His yeah. the daughter had her like butt yeah. up in there. It's so funny. 
and then when he takes Terry Gar and the kids uh, up to this hilltop, uh, thinking you know they they might see the ships again, and Terry Gar says, "We used to come to places like this just to look at each other." And Carla said, "Kids will ruin that for you." <laughs> <laughs> the same year, by the way, Terry Gar had a very similar part in the movie Oh God. Uh, oh. 1977, where she's got a husband who's crazy, who believes something that nobody else believes, and he keeps insisting that it's real, and we know it's real, but she's like the the wife. Uh, but I think in Oh God, it has a little happier ending, and she she comes. Around. I think I like that movie if I remember correctly, but it's been a while. John Denver and George Burns. Yeah. I used to have that movie on my top 100, uh, and wow. that that was a little uh, like seeing that when you're young and loving it. But I I still think it's it's a funny. Maybe good it'll movie. pop back up after the list gets for me. Maybe we we have some slots available was she the wife in mr mom as well mm-hmm. she was great she was the missus in mr <clears throat> mom yep and then melinda dillon of course is the mom in of course magnolia and magnolia and magnolia well she's yeah uh what's his name jimmy gator a christmas story and a christmas story yeah uh but melinda dillon has one of my favorite uh second city origin stories too of like she wore uh, when she was like 20 years old, she ran coat check for Second City, like in the first year that it opened in Chicago. This is with when you were there. This, uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I was there many years later, but this is the original cast, and uh, they didn't have understudies at the time. And Barbara Harris was uh, one of the main actors in the company, and I guess one night Barbara was sick. And Melinda Dillon, who watched the show every night and worked in the Kochek, was like, uh, I know all of her parts. <laughs> and they let her go on, and she ended up joining the company. And then her big break came uh, when another Second City family uh, uh, alumni, Mike Nichols, cast her as the original Honey in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf oh, wow. on Broadway, which she I did. I had no idea she was a Second City actor. Yeah. Um, Bob Balaban on WTF a, a few, when he was on a few weeks ago was saying that he um, he, he, he he did Second City New York or something. They had a they had a New York company for a while, which I think. But is, he was in Chicago, and he um, I don't know that he was in the cast, but he went to go see them all the time. <clears throat> Maybe took classes. Hmm. Also, his family is like an old movie family. They owned like one of the big movie chains. So he like grew up in the movie business. So listen to the WTF on Balaban. Uh, that's great to know. Is it? I think I got half of it right. No. <laughs> even if even if you got half of it right, that's well because he was saying all that, that he stuff is interesting. How to act not through any acting classes, but from Second City, which is then why he did the Christopher Guest movies. That's really cool. I yeah, I learned how to act from just watching SCTV. So. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why you're such a good actor, John. That's why I haven't done anything. <laughs> I also know Bob Bellman's movie debut is a guy who gives a blowjob to John Voight in Midnight Cowboy. Oh yeah, he talked about that too <laughs> because his uncle was one of the producers on the movie. He's <laughs> like, well, I got a part for my nephew. <laughs> well, no, no, he got it on his own, but then his uncle was like, "Oh yeah, you're in that movie, huh?" And then when he saw him the next time, they didn't say anything. About it. <laughs> He's like, it's just a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Distributor, maybe? Maybe not producer. See? And I know half truths. An embarrassing story for me to tell. I had a, in high school, I was. <laughs> well, where is this going? <laughs> in high school, I was dating a girl and went over to her house, rented some movies and went over to her house to watch some movies and, uh, had no idea what these movies were. I was just, you know, a cinephile and picking out movies that I, I've heard were good. And, 
remember walking into the house and her dad going, hey, what movies did you watch? Because we were going down in the basement to watch. And I said, oh, I got Mean Streets and Midnight Cowboy. Oh, no. I can't. And he just was like, okay, and let us go. And I can't imagine what he would have thought, what he must have really thought. He thought John Candy was in those movies. (laughs) Probably. Dads don't know. Dads Dads don't know movies. Yeah. When it uh, when it has the shot in the Mongolian desert of this giant ship, uh, which is just the uh, landed there from nowhere, Carla said, "Why can't the aliens know where they're supposed to put stuff? <laughs> <laughs> they can figure everything else out. They should at least be able to be able to put the ship back in the water." And there's one scene Popcorn. where I think this is Richard Dreyfuss's character was starting to say, "All I want to do is," and Carla said, "A zoom, 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 and a boom, boom." <laughs> just did it again and then i stopped I, if you listen back everybody i went and then i stopped myself because i realized that's what you were about <laughs> i'd like to think you stopped yourself because of like oh well i want to do a zoom 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 and a boom boom but that's too dumb <laughs> no i stopped myself because i realized oh i did that it's coming yeah this happens often when we do the quotes <laughs> when give her the same uh, same Set stimulus up. and she'll have the same response every time uh, this is Carla around the Indian sequence. Uh, this movie is boring. <laughs> I also try to do a little joke because the scientists are recording the, uh, the Indians, uh, singing the five notes mm-hmm. and they have this gigantic boom mic, which is right there. And I'm like, Oh, boom's in the frame. Carla, the boom's in the frame. <laughs> the scene where he tries to build devil's tower out of, uh, out the of yard. His- <laughs> well, first he does it at the dinner table. The uh, oh, mashed potatoes. Carlos says now he's going to build a mountain out of potatoes. And then he keeps saying, like, what is this? I don't know what this is. And Carlos said, just look at pictures of mountains. <laughs> it's clearly a mountain. And then at one point, I think you had some texts or you've like, you had to get up and take a call or whatever. And I paused the movie and you said, can you just play it? Cause I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> And then he's watching a cartoon of Marvin the Martian, right? Is that also an E.T.? Is E.T. watching Marvin the Martian at some point? Uh, he's watching Bugs Bunny. E.T. watches Bugs Bunny. And I believe Marvin the Martian is there. I'm just going to say that it's true. There's no way to find out. But uh, <laughs> uh, when he's ripping out the chicken wire, Carla said, that lady with the ducks is pissed. <laughs> and then when it cuts to the giant devil's tower in his living room, Carla said, we're supposed to believe he made that out of trash and plants. <laughs> shoveling dirt and he had a wheelbarrow full of dirt <laughs> i do like the scene where the two storylines finally come together and uh the ballad man and Truffaut are like trying to like read him and like figure out what his and and he gradually gets through the questions they're asking him that they know a lot more than they're letting on and yeah. that's, that's the scene where he's like who are you people that's pretty good well we don't have pft here today but uh <laughs> that'll have to suffice uh for a dreyfus impression who's pft <laughs> uh when roy heads down to uh to get a closer look at the ship uh he and jillian uh have a kiss and carla said why do they have to kiss yeah why that really they, bugged you it really bugs me there's nothing leading up to that moment that indicates <clears throat> there's any sort of sexual anything between them but yeah. just that they are shared they've shared this experience right yeah and so it just felt really cheap to have them to have him kiss her I'll agree. It feels like a movie thing of just like he's the lead actress, she's the lead actress, and they're supposed to kiss at some point. And it's probably more resonant if they're just friends. Yeah. What do you think, Jeff? Um, Where do you fall on this debate? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. 
I don't know that they need to. I don't think that there's any. I don't know. I always feel like there's nothing between them anyway because he's does. It doesn't like stop him from second guessing about whether to go on that ship or not. Right. Like, right. Um, so let's just say you're on our side. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. All right. I was reading something, uh, doing my my very cursory, clearly research for this uh, for this episode, but it, but something said when the uh, when the ship lets out and they let out, you know, the people that the that they had abducted, that animals come out too. Were there animals? There is a dog. A I dog. S- I did see a dog. There's like a cocker spaniel, I believe. Wow. Comes down. What does that dog think? <laughs> and when was that dog abducted too? Poor dog. Um. But the the first people out are the pilots of the World War II planes that we saw at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them says, Lieutenant, welcome home. And Carla said, everyone you love is dead. <laughs> <laughs> but that piece of plastic you threw out in 1941 is That's still around. still there. Uh, that the ship referenced in the movie, by the way, is a real ship that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle, and nobody knows what happened to it. And those pilots that referred to are pilots that went missing and were never accounted for. Oh, weird! So, so I kind of got the that from the ship, the way that they were talking about it. It seemed like it could be it's a real, real thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the first alien that comes out has those long, spindly arms. Carla said, "Looks like the guy from Nightmare Before Christmas." <laughs> the aliens, by the way, designed by Carlo Rimbaldi, who also designed ET. And the the one that they call Puck, the more adult one that Truffaut does the sign language mm-hmm. with at the end, um, uh, was done was a very precursor to ET. Like that's the same technology they used of that they were puppeteering his facial expressions and and that sort of stuff, just like they did with ET later on. So cool. And then there's a bunch of military people who are in orange jumpsuits waiting to go on. Uh, and it cuts to all of them in the, in the briefing room or, or they're, they're doing like a prayer together. Right. And th- there's one lady there that you can see. And Carla said, looks like this company doesn't employ women. There's two women though. I know. <laughs> well, well, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they all march out together and there's a second lady. And I said, there's more ladies. And Carla said, there's two ladies. <laughs> that's one more lady than what I just said. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> I think there was one black man, though. Yep, there was. So me and Jeff both think it's okay that there's two ladies and one black man. That's enough. That's enough. <sighs> um, <laughs> Carl Weathers apparently is in this movie, also, too. Also, it's probably way more fascinating to study women than it is men from an alien's point of view. Well, well that's sexy. Because, that well, is- because, <laughs> no, but because biologically we can reproduce. Sure. Like, so it doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Ugh. And in that climactic moment where Roy Neary, full of childlike wonder, uh, grabs the aliens by the hand and, and boards this ship, Carla's reaction was, what about your wife and kids, you fucking piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> Not one look back for them. <laughs> Not one little, hey, got to make a the, quick phone call. That was actually the reason why Steve McQueen turned down the role, because in the original script, his family was there, and he and he looks back going onto the ship to see them and, and sheds a tear or cries, and Steve McQueen says, I can't cry on camera. I can't do this role. Oh, wow. And Spielberg was like, well, we'll cut that out. He's like, no, <laughs> because that's the part that made me love the script. Like, I almost cried reading that part. Wow. Um, well, let's Whatever do a little. What happened to Steve McQueen, anyways? <laughs> <laughs> he really could have used this. <laughs> he died not long after this. I think he died in 1981. Yeah. Um, 
There's no way to find out. Um, <laughs> why don't we do a little khaki theater then? Because uh, when Carla runs this, we don't do the improv. But uh, now, now that I'm back in charge. Well, my phone died too <laughs> for the Beetlejuice episode. People were asking online. Oh, yeah. I was wondering. That was part of the reason why I agreed to come back on because I thought, oh, we're not doing the improv. <laughs> uh, but what happens if Roy Neary does go on the ship for a while? And then comes back to, uh, to Earth, uh, many years later, and his kids that he left are now adults. Oh, good one. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, hey, bro, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer the door. Yeah, fine. What? <laughs> I'm in the bath. Okay. Stay there. Don't come out. Please. <laughs> uh... Hi. Uh, I don't know if you, Remember me. Um, Holy shit. Sis, what's going on? What's going on? Is that Toby? Toby? Yeah? It's our our dad, bro. Our dad, uh, who looks not one day over 45 years old. The exact same age he was when he left us. I'm 30. I'm 30. I left when I was 30. 45? I'm 45. (laughs) You look exactly like me. So wait. You two are adults, uh, brother and sister, hey, living as you roommates. Know what? It's h- hard. It's hard. <laughs> Look, things got really hard. Trump after is you president. Left. Yeah. <laughs> Who? Donald Trump. Look, <laughs> I I just wanted to apologize. Uh, I I really feel bad about leaving you guys. Okay, just because you're two out of the three of your children live together as adults, because they can't make ends meet, it doesn't mean that we had. Yeah, I wouldn't. A bad life. Yeah. Well, it hasn't been so bad because the other uh, uh, sibling, (laughs) I want to say my my brother. Your brother. What was his name? I want to say my brother went on to have a very successful movie career about making movies about abandoned uh, fathers. Oh, well, that's good. Steven Spielberg. (laughs) My oldest child was Steven Spielberg? Yes. Look. I've been on this ship for years. I know I look the same. It only happened in the blink of an eye uh, for me, but uh, clearly it's been about 40 years for, for you guys. I just want to apologize. I, I, I feel bad. I wouldn't do it the same way now. Well, but the inside of that ship, <laughs> the inside of that ship. Wait, wait, what did, what did it look like? I can't even describe it. It's best to leave it to your own imagination. Oh, come on. Don't don't make me imagine things. Show it to me. I can't me. show it to you. I don't have the budget. Did someone take pictures? Someone must have taken pictures. Well, my friend Jillian, uh, just, oh, she's, just a friend. She's dead. <laughs> she's dead. Everybody yeah, that we, you we love has died. We all went to her has died. funeral. Oh, but you're still alive. I, you never loved us. <laughs> That's true. You wouldn't have left. <laughs> you would not have left. if you, Dad, I have, a, I have a real question for you. How many women were on that ship with you? <laughs> How many women? Yeah. What kind of question is that? I'm just curious. Well, I mean, there was there like were... a fair ratio of men to women on this well, what's, ship. There was a bunch of trained Air Force pilots on there. So, yeah. can you also tell the, the sexes of the aliens? How many aliens were women? How many aliens were women, Dad? They don't have the genders that we have. If they had animals on the ship, were they all men? <laughs> there were was, they all male dogs? There was one very obedient dog, uh, but I, I, she was a bitch. What? It's a term for a female dog. Who are you people? Um, I forgot my name. <laughs> and? Amanda. 
Well, I'm so glad we brought back the khaki theater. <laughs> oh, it is back with a vengeance, it's ladies so and gentlemen. It's so much more fun to improvise with a broken elbow, you guys. <laughs> Uh, does do, does people know that? <laughs> do people know you have a broken elbow? I think I talked. We talked about, about it. it in the Beale Juice episode. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, you want to give this movie a letter grade? Uh, I give it like a B minus. B minus. Wow, that's a that's harsh for a Spielberg movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm judging it against other Spielberg movies. Okay. When I say that, what's your number two Spielberg movie? Um, that's a good question. I, w- I would probably say, well, that's where you come down to best made or what do you oh, enjoy God. watching? Never mind. I'm but sorry I'd I say asked. Schindler's <laughs> List, probably Schindler's List. Schindler's List. Okay. Uh, I like, I like Munich a lot. I like, I liked Munich too. Um, Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I like actually Last Crusade. I would put right above Raiders of the Lost oh. Ark. Jaws. Jaws is up there. Sure. Carla, letter grade for you. Um, let's go with a, a hard D plus. <laughs> hard D plus. Hard D plus. A hard D plus. <laughs> wow. Jeez. <laughs> what does that stand for? Stands for um. What does it stand for? It stands for don't make me watch it again. Okay, you'll, you'll well, never have to. Special you'll... edition. Total A. <laughs> <laughs> well, Craig's listeners, please write in. Uh, hopefully somebody will have me ha- have me back on this. <laughs> Someone have me back. Someone have me back because uh, you guys are totally wrong. Well, we'll movie, have you back you know. on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, but, uh, but thank you. Thank you for weighing in with your opinions on, uh, on Close Encounters. Uh, Craig's listeners, next up we have number 27 on Craig's list. And this is a 1950 movie directed and written by Mr. Billy Wilder. It stars William Holden, Gloria Swanson. It's a Hollywood classic called Carla. Sunset Boulevard. And uh, we're going to have a special guest on there who is the closest person to Norma Desmond that we know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is our friend. <laughs> and I, I mean that in the, the most flattering way possible. <laughs> is there a way to make that flattering? <laughs> Find okay, out next week. Okay. She's not like Norma Desmond at all. But uh, our, our friend Paget Brewster is going to come on to uh, talk about Sunset Boulevard with us. Jeff, so much, uh, Jeff, so much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> a lot we have to edit out of episode <laughs> i'm not editing anything uh real quick you didn't say if you like this better than et or not you were not going to follow through oh, with yeah, your promise yeah, that was a big promise there do you like this better than et <laughs> well right now my top three are top three films of the ones we've covered so far i have et avoir les enfants and 2001 I like Close Encounters better than 2001. I like Close Encounters better than Avoir Les Enfants, but I do not like it better than E.T. the Extraterrestrial. I will, <laughs> I will admit. Right answer. I will admit that E.T. I would agree. Have, speaking of, did you guys see, go see 2001 in the theater that's been I couldn't, no. out in, I no. it's still at the Arclight, right? It's still, I believe, at the Arclight. Maybe tonight. Carly, Maybe. you want to go tonight? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No. Craig's listeners, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks with Paget Brewster and Sunset Boulevard. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>